others. Uh, so today we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. And uh, I'll give my title a little bit later because it won't make sense now. It just might serve more as confusing than anything else. Uh, but we'll look at it a little bit later. But pretty much what we've been talking about all year is what is the purpose of a Christian? What is the purpose of a disciple? And if you grow up in any kind of uh, mainstream Christianity or really anything religious or associated with Jesus, sometimes that can kind of boil down to being saved. Uh, are you saved? Are your friends saved? Are you going to be saved? And what that usually brings to mind is, uh, are we at the end of time going to get the not guilty verdict? At the end, when we see Jesus, when we meet God, uh, and even as early as our teenage years, when we start to study the Bible, perhaps really in depth for the first time, a lot of our motivation can be simply, I don't want to go to hell. So, yeah, sure, let me take a look, a good hard look at this Jesus stuff. And the motivation can be, I just want to be saved. I want to go to heaven. I don't want pain. I don't want to go to hell. I don't know about you, and we talked about this all year. This is a little bit of a review, but that's not necessarily great news. It's not a news that makes us be active in our faith. It's not a news that, hey, man, it's almost more bad news. Like, hey, you better, um, you know, acquiesce to some, you know, mental, uh, to some intellectual truths. That way, uh, you don't have to be afraid of going to hell. It doesn't necessarily get me, make me excited in the morning to read my Bible or excited to, to pray. Uh, and even if it is exciting, it's only exciting for a few moments. And then once I have my salvation to myself, I can then go back to living as best I can or in a performance-based way or just trying to fend off the guilt right until uh, we see Jesus. But I don't think that's the good news. I don't think that's what drove Paul to give up his entire life to go preach to people he's never even met before, in cultures he's never been, in languages he doesn't know, with religions he hasn't heard of. That, I, that Peter, that uh, James and John would all be martyred. John, not martyred, but not for lack of trying. And so all, all these guys would, wouldn't, would die for this, for this gospel. Well, what is the gospel? Is it simply that, hey, you don't have to go to hell? I think we're missing something. And so all year we've talked about the gospel really being that we all get a chance to be reconciled to a God that otherwise it it would be impossible for that reconciliation, for a transformation to begin in us uh, that would go on until we die, that every day we would look a little bit more like Jesus to the point where we actually become a person. And here it is, the miracle, that you would become a person who wants to love. That you would become a person who wants to forgive. You would become a person who wants to give second chances. A person who wants to share their faith with strangers. A person who wants to pray. A person who wants to be vulnerable. Like risky vulnerability. That sounds crazy. Any of us, I remember when I started studying the Bible, that sounds, I have to do all these things I don't want to do. Well, yeah, well, you're not that person yet. But will you decide to lay down your life and let the Holy Spirit begin to churn in you and transform you uh, every day until we pass on or pass over, right? And that's the idea is that we are essentially flesh uh, and, and spirit. It's pretty much what all of us are. Flesh is this stuff right here, right? As Yoda would say, this crude matter. Uh, so th- this stuff here uh, is flesh. Spirit is the non-tangible stuff, right? And as C.S. Lewis once said, we are not, 
bodies with souls, but we are souls with bodies, right? So that first wakes us up, and the world wants to probably say different. But we have to realize, too, that, okay, when we become disciples, when we decide to repent and change our lives, or at least make the decision to begin that, that change, then the, God gives us his spirit. And that spirit then begins to change the flesh. It begins to change us, that we will actually look, be, sound, live differently because of the spirit of God, the essence of God. Imagine it like if God is like the divine flame, the divine fire. God is a fire, right? And we all have a bit of a spark in us. We have something in us that's godly. We have something in us that's of God. We're not all of God because everyone who's ever been born has sinned and has failed to live up to the godly standard. So we're not God, but we're perhaps we're little embers. Like you see a little, little ember pop off of a fire, right? And it kind of fades and it lands and it kind of, it has a little bit of a spark, but it dies, right? But all of us have that spark of God perhaps in us. But when we decide to follow God, we get that internal flame. We get the divine flame within us and we can choose to either listen and be led by that flame and fan that flame more and more and more into uh, us or we can choose to maybe quarantine it. And so all of us are in one of two categories today. Perhaps you're in the category where you have not decided yet to live a life where God is in control. You have not yet decided to put to death your former way of life, a life where you were in charge, where you called the shots, where you were on the throne. And you're still perhaps thinking about that path. Maybe you're considering it. Maybe you're not considering it. But you are in, the, in category A over here, right? Category B would be the folks who have decided to make that change. But everyone who decides to become a disciple, uh, just, just because you get baptized does not mean you're good. Just because... You can recall a date where you were baptized does not mean you automatically will make it. Now, this is where it gets weird. I'm not going to spend too much time on it because the more we try to separate the two blades on the same pair of scissors, the more we we, we can't use the scissors anymore. Okay, so we've got to keep the two blades together. But here's the thing is we have been given a great assurance in the Holy Spirit, a great deposit in the Holy Spirit of what is to come, of what's coming our way. But it's our responsibility to, to continue to let that flame grow inside of us. Because otherwise, when we, when we get baptized, we realize Satan doesn't give up and say, ah, they got baptized. I better, you know, shucks, go pick on somebody else. Uh, no, we actually realize that if Satan is real, that he would actually, it would stand to reason that he actually attacks the Christians more. Because they are the real, the absolute, the finite enemies of that realm, of the realm of flesh. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5 says, those who live according to the flesh. Now, the word flesh here, he's, it kinda, it's not really maybe like we hear flesh, we, hear, we think certain things. This word kind of means worldliness or world. So those who live according to the worldliness, the flesh, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. Notice he doesn't say it brings death. No, it is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. This scripture, this book of the Bible, this particular scripture here, is not talking to category A. 
Those, there's two realms. The realm of the flesh, the worldliness, the world, and the realm of the spirit. Those who have decided to repent and be baptized, you are in the realm of the spirit. Whether you like it or not, you have been given all that you need to succeed. That's the good news. Sort of a good news, bad news situation here. That's the good news, right? Folks over here, I, my, the, the sermon today is not really going to be for you. But my hope is that you can hear this sermon and hear what God is doing in our lives and be inspired and want to follow and jump in to the arms of the father who loves you. But here's what Paul is saying is we got to take a good hard look at our minds. And I think this past year for all of us, think about this past year, think about 12 months ago. Where were you? Where were you 12 months ago? And think about your transformation as a disciple. Do you look more like Jesus? Some of us might say, well, I've taken a few steps back. Some may say, no, I think I'm doing quite well. And then we ask our wives and they say, no, you're not doing that quite well. And go, okay, well, fair enough. I should work on humility. Any way you look at it, we probably all have a little bit of a ways to go. Um, But sometimes, and I think this is what's so hard about the good news of transformation, is that transformation is often slow moving and not always forward moving. And so especially when you have new Christians, they get discouraged because they say, well, I'm not automatically like Jesus after a couple of weeks. Well, sure, right? You've been living in the world of the flesh, of, in the worldliness for so long, right? You've got to continue to allow God to work in you. But that transformation does take time. And it can look like you're not making progress. You can look at your life. And, we can, and this, is, I think, is where we get stuck as Christians is we begin to get hopeless. We begin to lose the good news. And if we lose the good news, Satan has got us. Satan's got us. How, I mean, you ever tried to share your faith and, it, and it's just kind of forced? It's like, it's definitely of your flesh, right? It just doesn't sound like good news at all. The person listening is like, I don't want any part of that, really. I mean, it doesn't sound like you don't smile. You know, it's just like, hey, we, you know, you should come to church. I go to church. We should really go to church. You should come to church. You know, it just sounds like, okay, well, maybe I will, maybe I won't. But when you do, I, actually, when it is good news, it's amazing how your life transforms. I think sometimes we try to jump straight to the imperative and we skip the indicative. In other words, sometimes we skip right to our behavior instead of looking at, do we really know the truths? Do we really know what's going on? Because once you know a truth, your behavior changes. Once you really know a truth, once you really know something, your behavior changes especially through experiential learning, right? Like if you, you know, drop, I got a, a new French press for Christmas, right? And I was so excited because I love coffee. And I bought it, I used it once and I'm cleaning it. And as I'm cleaning it, I turn it over to clean it and the glass falls out and smashes everywhere. Yeah, you know how that when you're a kid and you break something and you're like, oh, dad's coming home. I had that moment of like, oh, I, and I, not even that Jenny was going to be mad. I just felt like I just ru- I broke something. And I was so excited for it. And I just thought, oh my goodness, if I get another French press, I'm going to take such good care of it. I'm never going to turn it over. I'm going to come to hand clean it. Like, I'm just, I'm so, I just felt, I went through all those reasons. I didn't even clean it up for like 10 minutes. I just kind of stood and really kind of reflecting on my mistake, right? And like all that I could have done and, and how embarrassing it is and how I should have known not to do that. And anyway, and someone goes, no, I think it was a defective French press. And I said, no, it's my fault. Like I blew it. Like I should have really cleaned it differently. Anyway, but we can, this is kind of how it goes. When we kind of learn a truth, now my behavior changes, right? Next time I get a French press, 
oh my goodness, I'm going to be so delicate and careful. No matter if it is not breakable, I'm just still going to treat it differently because when we learn truths about things, our behavior changes. And that's kind of a trivial example. But when we know a truth about something, our behavior changes, especially a truth, uh, especially an intimacy of truth. You know, for, for example, uh, there was an engagement recently in the church, right? So uh, Landon Dorrier and Jess, Dor- you know, just Prince are now engaged. I almost said Jess Dorrier, not quite yet on that one. A little premature, but Landon and Jess are engaged. But I have a feeling, and I went through this process as well, you know, when you kind of like somebody, you'll be a little bold, maybe. If you're like me, you'll be bold no matter what. But when you like somebody, you'll be a little bold. You start dating and you're like, okay, now I could be a little more bold perhaps with my affection. And you start, you get engaged and you're like, man, we can really start to kind of be even more bold and more vulnerable and more real. And you get married and it's like, whoa, here it is. Here we can be really bold, really intentional, really vulnerable, right? And that, and you know, I think marrieds who are married for a long time, they lose that freshness, that intimacy, but there's something real about, wow, knowing that Jess accepts me. He proposed and Jess said yes. They get, you know, it's different, right? Like, oh, he walks different. He talks different, right? He's like, he's excited. Perhaps with Jess, he's all the more different. But when there is a truth that comes to light, our behavior changes. So my hope today and my hope for this year, really, is that we will trust that our behavior will change. The behavior will change. Don't worry about your behavior. But really get to know the truth about God. Because when you can know God, or don't worry about it. You will look different. I, you won't, I won't have to be up here saying, share your faith, come to church, be a good person. I won't have to. No one will have to. Because you can just say, no, I know God. And I'm learning every day these truths about God. That's why Paul says, where's your mind here? You know, Emerson said a man is, uh, a man is what he thinks about all day long. Uh, where's your mind here? Um, I got to confess, my mind probably too often is on money, is on how, can we, how are we going to afford this? And how can we save a buck here? And how can we do that? And how can we, have, can we get, 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 do this? And I can just think a lot about money. And I think, man, okay, my mind is kind of, where, where are my thoughts? And Paul says, that's where it begins. Where are our thoughts? Because just because you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is no small thing, it's, it's the person of, of Jesus, as we'll see soon, does not mean that you're free from the influence of the world. The world can still influence you. You can have the, that, that fire within you. You can have the Holy Spirit, but you can also quarantine that. You can quarantine him. You can put him to the side and allow the world to influence your marriage more than the Holy Spirit. You can allow the world to influence your parenting more than the Holy Spirit. You can allow any facet and your, your, your work performance, your thoughts, your forgiveness, your excitement, your zeal. That can all be more, more influenced by the, the world. And we can feel that pressure and we can get hopeless. Uh, you know, the title of my sermon today, it'll make more sense in a minute. I have to do this because I arranged the slides poorly, but I have to give the, uh, I have to give the title here. But the title of my lesson is My Dad Can Beat Up Your Dad. Okay. Now keep that in mind. Keep that in mind here. But I want to look at sometimes we get sucked into the ways of the flesh, the ways of the world. And I think it's because we don't refresh our minds like we should and we don't have our minds inclined toward the spirit like we should. And I think we get we buy into the here and now more than the reality of what is to come and the reality of the here and now. But I think we're just really easy uh, forgetters. I think we just forget. Uh, And that's probably why we have to have quiet times daily, because we're just really, really uh, uh, bad at this whole uh, godly thing. 
But it makes sense, right? We've all, we've all failed to have that. That's why we're given Jesus in the first place. But the Bible talks about this. 1 Peter 1, 24 says, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. You know, he says, that, sure, sure, it looks beautiful today. Yeah, but that thing's not going to last. Sure, yeah, that, the, the article you read about parenting, sure, it looks pretty sweet today. But will it last? You know, your perspective on disciplining your kids. That's, sure, that's kind of vogue right now in 21st century millennial whatever, right? Your perspective on sharing your faith and how cold contact is not really cool. Like, that, sure, that sounds pretty hot now, right? But, but these things, will they last? Will they make it? Remember, you are not a body with a soul. You are a soul with a body. And the world says, no, all these things. And our bodies are important, but I think we put a lot more emphasis on our bodies than on our souls, And we don't realize that actually to pursue the flesh is to hurt our soul. And Peter says this again in chapter 211. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. Well, why? Because they wage war against your soul. Any of us knows that. Any of us who's been addicted or has even remember, I actually found a journal of mine this yesterday of a few years ago. And I read my journal entries of, of, you know, and very vulnerable in this journal I was. Uh, remarkably vulnerable with God. Amen. Fair enough. But when you read a, a journal that you, you wrote years ago, it's kind of cringeworthy sometimes. You're kind of like, oh, what, really? Was I there? Did I, oh, I was, oh, man. The reality of that is kind of embarrassing and it's kind of sick. And I realize how much that waged war against my soul. And I think that war that it wages is it makes us hopeless. Uh, you, hear, you see it a lot with young men in purity. They kind of just throw up their hands and say, you know what? I can't do it. I guess none of us will ever really be pure. They kind of, the, the fire gets sucked out of their life. Their confidence is gone, right? They, 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 they choose to, 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 to dominate a world of fantasy, of video games, uh, because it's easier than having to, to build integrity. It's quite, it's quite it's, it, and it's an epidemic in our world. And this is exactly what Satan wants to do for us. The idea that this, that to pursue flesh, the passage says is death. To pursue flesh is, I love that. It's not, it doesn't bring death. That's not coming. No, it is death. It's a dead end. To pursue the worldly desire of being able to get through your week because of your success at your job, it will fail you. It is death. You will not ever, there is no good ending. To be able to, even nowadays, a big one is, I want to be an independent person. I want to be able to have my own thoughts and make my own decisions. And your, your mentality, your perspective on life to be independent is death. It will get you nowhere. It won't save you. It won't make you feel better in the long run, right? That, that it's all grass. It's all going to fade. Uh, all these things that, that we can pursue in the world, uh, pleasure, money, uh, uh, winning, success, relationships, it's not going to bring you life. And I love that it says to actually have your mind inclined toward the spirit is life. It's actually going to bring life. And what does he mean by that? Well, let's re- keep reading a little bit. Verse nine. And here's the good news. Paul says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. Can I get an amen to that one? Amen. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ... They do not belong to Christ, but if Christ is in you. See how he's interchanging the spirit with Christ? So we say, oh, well, what is the spirit? I don't really get the spirit. Well, I know a guy who looks a lot like the spirit. So much so that you can interchange the two. It's Jesus. 
Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if we indeed share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You know, this is powerful. There's pretty much every Pixar movie uh, has the same message, or a lot of them do, right? And it's, it's, it's especially recently, because for a long time, Disney did the whole uh, romance thing, and then they switch now to the, to the family message. Every Pixar recently, every Disney movie recently is about family. And so, like Frozen, right? Sister exception, right? And if you haven't seen Coco yet, guess what it's about? Family, right? And so all these movies, uh, uh, Mowgli in the Jungle Book, he's got this, you know, he's, he's trying to figure out, like, how do I fit in with this pack of cubs, this pack of wolf cubs, right? It's about him being accepted. And so there's something in us that really desires acceptance. We want to be accepted, and especially in relationships that are intimate, especially in relationships that are close to us. In the ancient world, in Jesus's time, your reputation began with the family and then worked to the individual. I say reputation because that's probably what it means more to us. Back then, they would have said honor. Honor began with the family and then moved to the individual. It's why we see the best insults in the Bible are like, you know, family, right? John the Baptist, you brood of vipers, you know, you offspring of, you offspring of vipers, Right? Your dad, your parents were snakes. That's what he's saying. It's like, oh, ouch. You know, it's kind of a parent thing John's doing there. Jesus, when he's made fun of in Mark 6, for being a prophet in his hometown, they say, aren't you Mary's son? Ooh, you don't do that. You don't say Mary. You say, usually say the father because it was, it was uh, through the father that the lineage was carried. To, uh, to call attention to the mom almost always was, didn't your mom do something worthy of dishonor? And Mary would have been well known for having Jesus out of wedlock. Um, and so, which was a big, uh, a big badge of shame, right? And so when they make fun of Jesus, they say, isn't your mom Mary, right? And it would have, to Jesus, been a shot. And so there's a lot of in the Bible, right? You also see Simon, son of Jonah. You see Joshua, son of Nun. There's this idea of family being very important to honor, to glory. Now, here's the thing, is it works the opposite way too, is for a lot of us, and sometimes this happens quite a bit, is that we can feel really excited, uh, emboldened, and confident when we are accepted by our parents and our siblings, right? Like if your dad ever said, I'm proud of you. That's how we'd say it nowadays, right? You wouldn't say you bring me honor, son. Like maybe like in Japan, but not here. You wouldn't say that. Like you, you say, no, I'm proud of you. And sometimes we never hear that from our dad or from our mom. And it can be a big source of rejection. And so we, we seek to find pleasure in the world because we want that. And so Disney taps into that with these ideas of, okay, like acceptance via family. And it's a very powerful 
motivator. It's a very powerful, uh, it could be also, a, it could be a push motivator or a pull motivator. It can work either way. And there's something in us that drives us. And, you know, all of us have this in us, right? Can we hack it? Can we deliver? Can we make it? And a lot of that begins with our families and what they think of us. Even our perspective of God often is a reflection of how we view our parents. If our parents were very uh, overly uh, disciplinarian, then we, we always think God's going to come get us. And if our parents were kind of let us go on a few things, we think, oh, God will probably forgive me. In general, that's how we can even perceive God. So why does God say he adopts us? What's so powerful about adoption? What's so powerful about that is that, you know, God knows that we need it more than anything. Uh, in 1925, uh, the Duke of York gave this powerful speech uh, powerful. It was supposed to be powerful. This speech at the British Empire expedition in Wembley. Now, the Duke of York had a problem. He had a stammer. A stammer is not a stutter. A stutter is like, it's like repeating a syllable. Stammer is you can't even get the word out. Like you can't, your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth and it's, you can't, and it's awkward and it's embarrassing. And so he gave this speech and they made a movie about it called The King's Speech, but it's this really embarrassing speech where he, it, everyone involved, just the shame would have been shame upon shame. You can kind of see his wife in the movie kind of look down and even shed a tear. His, his girls, his daughters are kind of looking around like shame, disrespect. And he's supposed to be, you know, he's going to eventually be Charles VI, the king of England. His job is going to be to public speak. And so you, we, I saw that and I thought, you know what? In a lot of ways, that's us in our sin. Is it's embarrassing. I read my journal from just a few years ago and I was embarrassed. I didn't want to tell anyone. I didn't want to say, hey, look what I wrote. I didn't want to bring attention to it. I wanted to throw it away. My first thought was I want to throw this away. This is embarrassing. What I felt, what I did, the things. And it's easy how we forget too, those things. I mean, God knows that we are stricken. He knows we're fractured. He knows that we have sin. When you go to an adoption agency, you don't adopt the kid with the most behavior issues. You don't pick the kid who's like, man, they, they cussed us out. They ran away. They punched another kid. They disobey all the time. They definitely have problems. This is going to be a problem child. Let's adopt him or her. You know, usually it's like the nicest kid or the kid that likes you the most or the kid that you think is the cutest or something. But this is exactly what God does with us. And this is the power of God is that God chooses to adopt you. And back in Roman times to adopt somebody wasn't just come into our household, it was, no, you get our name. Everything I've built, the mind's name, you get that. You, your inheritance will be everything I've spent my whole life trying to establish. Your mother and I, my, my father and my, and my mother, my grandparents, you get the mind's name. You will inherit all of it. All of the honor I've brought, you will get a piece of that. When people see you on the street, they'll go, what's your name, Drew, son of who? Your dad is who? Oh, all right. Good deal. And so we can actually know that our dad can beat up your dad, right? And I'm not talking about Mike Mines. And, you know, he probably doesn't have as much in, in, you know, in, in him anymore to really deliver a blow. Sorry, dad. Um, hey, no, he's, no he's, he's, he's fit. He's spiritually strong. Um, but uh, when, we talk, uh, when we talk about my dad can beat up your dad, this is exactly what God gives us because he knows we crave it. Why do we watch the Disney movie and tear up because the sister accepts the sister and oh, it's beautiful? Well, because we really crave that. We really want to be part of a household. We want to be connected. We want to be accepted. Even, and, and the thing is, is when we have so much shame and so much embarrassment, we begin to build up 
a, a sort of pride or a reluctance to seek help. You know, the Duke of York, because he had a stammer and he had so many doctors, he couldn't really get the help he needed because he would go in for five minutes to be so embarrassed by his disability that he would leave. He couldn't stand to deal and face his problem, his sin, his disability head on. He couldn't stand to see the way people looked at him and his family. And when he finally gets a great teacher, right, this guy, uh, Dr. Logue, he gets this great teacher. What's so powerful about this teacher is not his experience, because he actually didn't ever go to school for it. He doesn't have any letters after his name. It's not so much uh, a special technique. What's powerful is that Dr. Logue, it says, I'll always be there for you. Every speech, I'll be there. And I'm going to help you through each word. I'm going to guide you through each word. And there were a couple bad ones, but Dr. Logue was always there. And this is exactly what we have in Jesus, but even more. We don't give just a teacher to teach us what to do. You know, Dr. Logue was there to teach, teach uh, the Duke of York what to do. We have in us, inside of us, Jesus Christ. Not just there to tell you what to do, but to remind you who you are. That is the power of Satan is to get you to forget who you are. And God knows it. God knows you're going to sin this week. Stop trying to not sin. You know, God knows you're going to blow it. God knows it. He adopted you knowing your shortcomings. That's the power of the love of God. Better than any movie I can really think of or any story because it's completely no strings attached, unconditional. He has chosen to bring you into his household despite the shame you bring. Despite the embarrassment that you bring, God brings you in. And he says, not only that, I want Jesus to make a stinking house in your heart. He's going to live there. He's going to be there. And he's going to be there. And you know what the Holy Spirit's primary job is? Not to tell you to do this or do that. You know, sometimes we think the Holy Spirit is just going to like, it's like our emotions or something. Like the Holy Spirit will just, uh, oh, I really feel like I should date that girl over there. It must be the Spirit. You know, not, not, not necessarily there. So slow your roll. But here's the thing is the Holy Spirit's primary job. What does the scripture say? The Holy, scripture, the Holy, Holy Spirit's primary job is to remind you who you are. You're a son. You're a daughter. You have a father. And it's not just any father. You have God as your father, the creator of the universe as your dad. And so when you get down, when you are hurt, when that job interview rejects you, when your marriage is struggling, when you feel like I, I, I have no one to go to. Yes, you do. You have Jesus. He's right there. Go to him in prayer. That's what it says. Prayer. God's made it extremely easy for us just to pray. What if we all did? What if we all did just whenever we felt like there was no one to talk to or no one to understand us? And I think we feel that a lot more than we realize. What if we just went to Jesus? What if we just went to God and prayed? And, and even, even if we're, and it, the, the scripture is beautiful. It's almost like a preemptive strike on all of our um, doubts. Like, but what if God doesn't really understand? The scripture is going to translate. The, the, the spirit, rather. The spirit's going to translate. The spirit's going to bring us to God. The spirit's going to help us to know God. And every reason why we wouldn't approach God, he doesn't understand. Yes, he does. He actually understands better than we could ever imagine. He hasn't gone through it. He has gone through it. He's been rejected. He's been betrayed. Jesus experienced even praying to God and struggling through prayer. Does Jesus know what it's like to even struggle in prayer? To not get what? Yes, he does know. Jesus knows exactly what it's like. And so it's so easy for us to just go to God in prayer. 
God initiates the process of adoption. Not just to teach us what to do, but to remind us who we are. Why would God adopt us? Why would God give us all these things? You know, he knows that we're going to feel inadequate. He knows we're going to feel alone. And let's close out with this Romans passage. Let's finish it up here. Verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. And the last way, the final way I think that Satan gets us is that we go through suffering. We go through difficulties. We are maligned by Satan for who we are. We are made fun of. We are put to shame. People look at us strange or say something to us or they make us seem like we're closed-minded or weird or back in time or that religion is fake and not needed as a crutch anymore. We're looked down upon. But you know what Paul says? I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but if we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. There it is, transformation. To be transformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. As we close out, God has set the entire table simply for us to just know one thing. As we walk out of this room today, let's have it a goal this week to go after really knowing our identity in Christ. If, if every other identity of ours can flow from that one identity, nothing can touch us. Our sexual identity, it is, it is sub- subjugated to our identity in Christ. Our identity in the workplace, our identity as a great husband or father, you name it, is subjugated to our identity in Jesus. And here's the thing. What are you suffering right now? What are you going through? Think about the past year. A lot of New Year's is about starting fresh. But I want to encourage us not to forget what we've gone through. Not to forget even the difficult things. Not to forget, even if you feel like I'm still addicted to the same sin. I'm still struggling with the same thing. And I don't want to get help because it's embarrassing. Just like the king, right? He didn't want to get help. His pride stopped him from getting help. Church, don't let your pride stop you from getting help. Don't let the embarrassment of what the reality is you're going through because you know what? The, the, the reward is too sweet. Right. It's gonna, the only thing that can stop 
You from being in the household of God is you. All you've got to do, and this is beautiful, be led by the Spirit. Just remember who your dad is, who your father is. No matter what happens, you are the son of God. And we are assured that any cost we pay now is but pennies on the dollar compared to the inheritance we will enjoy at the consummation. It is nothing. Give me, hit me with your best shot, Pat Benatar. It is nothing. You can swing away because you know what we have in God can never be touched. And that church is life. What we have in God can never be touched by any new study, by any new thought, new wave of teaching tossed back and forth. What we have, your identity as a son or daughter of God can never be touched. And that church is life. Amen. And to God be the glory.